You are listening to The Exchange on Resident Advisor. This is the Critics Roundtable, where our various contributors and staff members discuss new releases, shows, and trends in the world of electronic music. My name is Naishka. I'm a senior writer in New York, and I have an all-star cast with me today. We have RA's managing editor, Chloe Lula in Berlin. Hey, thanks for having me. Also with us is Valeria, who is RA's city manager in Mexico City. Welcome to The Exchange, Valeria. Hola, thank you. Thank you for having me, both of you. So, Chloe, you have been on The Exchange before, but why don't you give us a little lowdown of what you do exactly at RA? Sure. Uh, so I am the managing editor. I started about a year ago and I am primarily responsible for overseeing our long form content, uh, but I'm also looking after news, reviews, podcasts, films, um, also helping to program workshops and panels at various live events. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a big job. I have a little bit of a a hand in everything editorial. Sounds like you have been a jack of all trades at this company. (laughs) What about you, Valeria? (laughs) Tell us exactly what a city manager does. Okay, so I'm the new Ciudad de Mexico city manager. So I'm in charge of uploading some of the events. Also the newbies, the new artists here at uh, Ciudad de Mexico. And of course, to talk about the labels, the promoters, the parties that are happening right now here at the underground scene and also in the most uh, mainstream areas. And basically, we are trying to put Mexico on the spotlight. Yeah. Which is exactly what we need. I would love to have more Latin American and South American content on our site. So. Hopefully, we'll be hearing much more of Valeria in the months to come. So today for this episode, I've asked each of you to think about three questions. Um, Your favorite piece of new music from the summer, a special show, can be a DJ set or a live act you recently caught, and a development or, you know, a piece of news that is currently impacting our industry. So let's start with the music. Um, Chloe, what's a record you've been rinsing on repeat this summer? Um, so this isn't especially new. It came out in March, but Dax J released this 19-track album called Soul Enforcer that came out on his label Modern Black. Um, it was a benefit for the war in Ukraine, and 100% of the proceeds went to the Ukrainian Red Cross. So the, the LP itself is comprised of um, yeah, 19 tracks recorded between 2005 and 2022. But I really love this release um, because despite the range of time that it was recorded across, it just still feels super cohesive and representative of Dax's sound. And for some reason, I've just been a little bit of a latecomer to Dax J. I think because he's been so hyped up over the last few years that I've been almost resistant to jump (laughs) on board um but i I don't know i've been drawn more and more to his recordings over the last few months um especially since i personally have been more attracted to like acidy dub 
techno-y sounds. Um, and this LP is it's just super dynamic. Um, it kind of skirts dub and, and acid and jungle. Um, and I, I had the pleasure of seeing Dax play a couple times this summer, actually, once at Awakening. So, um, yeah, I just I've been playing this one a lot. Also, in my in my DJ sets, I've been rinsing this um, like constantly. So this is probably the one the one LP slash EP that I've been uh, listening to on repeat. When you're about to drop this record in your sets, what point do you normally play this in? Is it for right before peak hour? Is it something you use to get into the more darker sounds? That's a good question. Um, I guess I've never thought about it strategically like that. I I guess this is something I would maybe play like peak time. And there are a couple of tracks on here. One is um, Sunrise in Kiev. And another one is The Deepest Borderlines. So it's like very, like very plangent melodies um, that I think are really good to break up a peak time section when you're playing heavier stuff or like to layer over something that's really percussive. Um but it could just as equally work well like in an opening set, I guess, if you're playing towards the end. So yeah, it's a super versatile record. It's the beauty of acid. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> What's something you've been listening to on repeat? Oh my god, I've been listening to a lot of stuff lately, but right now I feel like I'm a pretty, pretty, pretty obsessed with one release from the Mexican label called Lichi, Lichi MX, which is a record label um, that has a mixed series of things growing through juicy UKG two-step breaks, jungle, bass, and dub music. Um, this release, specifically, it's called Ate Number no. 2, which Ate is like a dessert here in Mexico. I don't really know how is it made, but it's, <laughs> it's something sweet, you know? And it makes sense a lot with the music they've been dropping and these releases because it's a series of bootlegs, which is really cool. I'm a huge fan of edits and bootlegs and right now I believe Mexican scene is doing great things and interesting things <laughs> uh, mixing and uh, and putting samples from Britney Spears and, and a lot of pop artists even reggaeton and this one specifically has uh, three three songs three tracks one is um, a Britney Spears bootleg made by Loe which is a Mexican producer who started in the industry as um, his last name, aka practice, more more focused on, on techno and and hardcore stuff, but this time it's more like a like I said, a juicy breaks, uh, also Ran Mentero, which is also a Mexican producer who decided this time to build this amazing um, track with Juana Molina's um, voices over, which Juana Molina is original singer. Uh, so it's quite interesting. And my favorite one, it's the one from the co-founder of Lichi, which is Lupone, Lupone, a.k.a. DJ Lovely. 
DJ Lovely, it's more um, focused on, on UKG, like, like Lichi, but Lupone as a DJ and producer, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a, quite a ride, you know, it's so interesting and so soothing to hear to, to his sets. And this time he delivered this song um, that it's called 6am, and it has a sample from, I believe it's Daddy Yankee. So it's it's really nice. It has a lot of bass, you know, like dub. And I, I, I haven't used this track yet. I'm looking forward to do it. But if I have to use it, maybe it will be after, you know, to make a bridge. Because it's mm -hmm. it's nice. It still have like this, like this bouncy rhythm where you want to move your hips and maybe let go of... Uh, harsh or maybe deep um transition you know when you're just like giving it and then it's ah, it's like a a way to breathe <laughs> yes definitely welcome back, welcoming back the groove maybe after exactly you know heavy melodies i exactly, personally exactly. love hearing you know i love i love it when djs drop like classic hip-hop or pop during a set it's like you said it really is a release and it's something yeah. it's a shared experience for a lot of people on the dance floor because so many people know these songs. Yeah, and you see a lot of people smiling, you know? It's like uh, you have a throwback dancing in, in the dance floor. And and of course, it's a surprise to listen to something that might be Britney Spears, you know, or a hip-hop or, or, or reggaeton, a song from 2006, but now edited in a more um, dub-based uh, version you know and and it's 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 nice it's quite quite nice i really enjoyed this this ep and even though it it it, it has um been out from i believe it was july i've been listening on repeat like i send it to chloe like listen to this, this <laughs> <laughs> for um for anyone who's interested i just googled the dessert you mentioned ate and it kind of uh -huh. fit perfectly with the record it's described as a very thick and sweet jelly made with fruit so <laughs> exactly. all, of, all of those juicy flavors i'm just yeah i'm seeing it in the dessert and in the sound <laughs> It makes sense, it makes sense. Thick and juicy. <laughs> <laughs> So the album I chose for me is, I guess you wouldn't call it a typical summer anthem. It's um, Barbie Bertish's Prelude. This is her debut album. And so Barbie is um, a DJ in New York who typically plays classic house, disco, and body music. It's, her sets are very funky, very soulful. Uh, she DJs under Love Injection, which is um, a record label. and publication she co-runs alongside her partner Paul Raphael and yeah her sets are normally built around groove but this debut album which came out in June on her label it just shows a completely different side of um, like her musical palette 
there's a lot of ambient, there's crowd rock, um, some elements, inspiration from the Berlin School, as well as Barbie playing sax, um, bass guitar, bass synths, and she's also singing, I think, for the first time. And uh, this whole record is it's built around the concept of a meditative space, which makes sense because it's very minimal, it's very floaty, it's very gentle. There's um, all these mysterious layers of like synths moving slowly, hazy chords. It feels like there's a process of like quiet transformation happening throughout the album. And on many tracks, you know, the rhythm and the melody really take their time to appear. And so it's very different from her DJ sets. Like melody and rhythm are not the main protagonists here, but even, even without even without them, there's still so much movement and emotion, like just through her light touches on synths and her soft vocals. Um, one of my favorite tracks is called After the Storm. And it's, yeah, it's a, such a beautiful journey of emotion. And the fact that she can express such emotion in such a simple arrangement is, it just makes it all the more magical to me. And uh, yeah, it's funny. It's like I said, it's not a traditional summer anthem, but I love listening to it. Um, it came out in June, and so I've been listening to it the past few months, and it really centers me. I think, you know, there's so much pressure in the summer to have a good time, to go out and party and kind of like live your best life. And, you know, if you're not, if you're not experiencing that, you, yeah, you might feel a bit of FOMO, but putting this record on just erases all of, you know, erases all of that hype and that noise and uh, yeah, it just puts me in my favorite mood of being loose and light. <laughs> so shout oh. out to Barbie. <laughs> oh, this Chloe. sounds like something I would love. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Chloe, I know you lived in New York. Are you familiar with the Love Injection people? I am. Um, I've never listened to Barbie's work, actually. But I remember when I would go to the Lot Radio, they would distribute the Love Injection publication there. And I, I always picked up a copy. So I'm, I'm a big fan. Yeah. like the second question to me it was very difficult because you know we've all been going out a lot past couple of months and I've asked you to pick a special DJ set or a live show that has like resonated with you and you know it's tough to choose being having the jobs that we do because we're constantly experiencing a lot of different shows but if you had to pick Chloe what would you pick? <laughs> I really, really struggled to come up with an answer to this because I kept on thinking of really amazing things I've seen recently. Um, so if I could answer <laughs> like two things, one live set I saw recently that really blew my mind, which actually just came to me as I was walking to my studio today, was um, I saw Belief Defect play last week at RSO and... Um, it was so it was so good. They're performing a lot of their older material because they actually haven't put out a lot in recent years. Um, but they were they were playing stuff that they released on Master Noten, and it's just like such groovy, 
slow industrial. Um, mm. Yeah, it really it really blew my mind, and it's been um, I've been actually returning to a lot of astronaut and stuff recently on the heels of seeing that set. Um, but in terms of a DJ set, I would have to say Aquarian, who was closing mm. the UFO stage at Deck Mantle earlier this month, and I loved this set for a few reasons. Um, first off, it, it was actually just really it was very virtuosic. Um, I mean, Chris Aquarian was playing really explosive drum and bass and breaks and the room was completely packed. It's this very narrow corridor, like tunnel that's lined with lights. And there was just so much energy. He was really like, he was mixing very dexterously. And um, he'd also just hosted a breakbeat workshop earlier in the day. Mm -hmm. So it was like a nice showcase of his productions as well. But there was this whole other element to it that I think a lot of people weren't aware of, but on the way to the set, Chris had lost his USBs and he no. had to cancel. Uh, so there were, there were these rumors flying around backstage that he wasn't going to be able to play and he had to cancel his performance. And it was about 30 minutes into the, like when he was supposed to play that he actually went back to his hotel, found his USBs and then jumped on the decks um, so it was this like, it was very emotional because there was this like climax and then release that I think everybody backstage was going through with Chris because we didn't know if the set was actually going to happen. <laughs> uh, so when he actually finished, it was so euphoric. And um, yeah, it was just a really special moment in, in the festival. Chris is such a professional, so I have no doubt that he would be able to bounce back from a lost USB. I actually <laughs> just saw him play. Um, just a few days ago it, at Mutec Montreal and nice. he told me that he also had some difficulties with his visuals but I mean there's no way you could have noticed um just being in the audience yeah it was every time seeing him play this was the first time he actually premiered I think his live live show in North America so um yeah and he killed it as usual it's his ability to mix in like the breaks the acid the techno it's yeah very masterful every time what about you, Valeria? What's something? Oh, it was super difficult. This was extremely difficult because I've been obsessed with um, preview sets from the start of this year. Um, I don't know. Here in Mexico, we start like with all of it. We do it with Community Fest, then Baidora, and then you go through a little break through the summer to more of club, warehouses, parties. Um, but well, at first I, 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 I chose some of the sets that were the first part of the year, but then I started thinking, go deeper. And actually there was this uh, party uh, in collaboration with EXT, EXT, which is a collective and a promoter here at Mexico City, which they always deliver, always. I don't know how they do it, how they manage it, but it's impressive the way they curate music. It's impressive the level of production they have. Um, they always change the location, which, which for me is... It's, how do you do it? How do you manage to get a lot of venues like that, like underground venues? I don't, I don't get it. But this party... Uh, was in collaboration with where are my keys parties from Miami Art Basel. Um, and it was really, 
it was really cool because uh, it was the first time that we saw Paranoid London live here. And one of the sets that really blew my mind was Danny Days. Danny Days deliver, of course, Miami base. It was amazing. The level of, of building a, a set like that, it was unbelievable. And also, uh, we always make fun here of the ex-parties because uh, they like to use a lot of the... How, how do you call it? Like the... Um, this machine that throws like fog. How how fog machine? I don't, fog machine. Okay, cool. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> like they always use the fog machine, so it's it's barely impossible to see. Actually, like you're just a lot of lights, just the music, <laughs> people. Then you you just open your eyes and see someone here. You know, <laughs> so. It was really cool. The set was amazing. Something that I really admire when someone is playing is the way that they can move people, you know? To go through a set that sometimes might be difficult to digest or some songs, some tracks that it, you will see how the people start like, oh, okay, what's going on? But they don't miss the connection. So that was for me something that I was admiring. I couldn't believe it. Like... He, he really had the people going and also the, the venue was like this um, at first I didn't know it was a set I thought it was an ex-jail because it has like these vibes it was you you were in a cell block you know <laughs> you were in a cell block dancing and it was like oh my god is, is it a jail is it not and then we found out it was a set a movie set so also, I thought about the set of Cuatro As, uh, AAA, which is Gabo Barranco. For me, Gabo Barranco is one of the, the greatest, the greatest producers in Mexico City. He's from the state of Mexico, but uh, of course, he, he plays more here at Ciudad uh, de Mexico. And he was doing a back-to-back -back with Monty, which Monty is a huge, huge and lovely, amazing DJ too. So imagine having these two scenarios where you have Danny Days with all the Miami bass, with all the flavors, with percussions, and then you have on the other stage more of a, of a techno vibe, a full, of course, with the break beats and the acid from Monty, but also like the great production from Gabo. So it was amazing. It was impressive. For me, it was... It was just like being in a festival without being in a festival, which uh, a lot of people here, we enjoy it because we don't have as much of festivals or, or, or places to go rave or to listen to 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 new genres, to, to have um, more open ear, to maybe enjoy things that you might never listen or things that you will listen, but you cannot listen in some clubs in Mexico City. It sounds like that secret location made it all the more special too. Is it normal to have a lot of these parties at like secret locations or, you know, like abandoned, abandoned movie sets, abandoned warehouses? Yeah, actually there's like this meme, this meme page at Instagram that it's called Memes Rabe, uh, Raver Memes. She's always there, like every party in the city, she's always there, she's always delivering. 
And of course, she has like this humor, this other part to 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 enjoy, like um, uh, and to mock of the scene, you know. And and <laughs> and we were talking about how we like to do parties in abandoned places, like warehouses. The worse it is, the better it is. A lot of people try to to go to maybe parking lots to abandoned cinemas to um, all of the collectives promoters I believe they do an amazing research to find venues because here we don't have a lot of clubs and the ones that are open or available they have a really strict um, musical line to avoid maybe I don't know I don't know So the underground scene, it's always, always doing their homework. I don't know how, and they manage to do it. And when the party arrives, it's always impressive for everyone because, of course, at the last minute, they will release the address. So imagine, it gives a little bit of, of flavor to, to the party. <laughs> no, totally. So I actually just came back from UTEC Montreal, as I mentioned, and I think, yeah, that would, I saw, caught so many great immersive audiovisual shows. Um, one particularly that stood out to me was this collaboration between uh, three musicians. I'm going to butcher their names, so bear with me. It's Amélie Ducov, Marco Monfardini, and Gianluca Sibaldi. So this is a trio who were performing live. They had this beautiful screen in front of them. And they were playing in a venue in, in Mutech where everyone was seated. So it felt very much like a theatrical or you know, like a serious show, snow dancing. So this trio has come up with a very cool AV projection tool that basically scans the audience in real time. Wow. And so these scans become like the main driver of the AV show. And you can see silhouettes of people on screen. And as this device is scanning people through a series of lights and cameras, it's also translating what it scans into sound and video images. So you're not just seeing reflections of people in the audience on screen. You're also seeing tons of other visuals superimposed on those silhouettes. Yeah, the whole performance was quite meta because, you know, what these guys are doing is they're kind of like reversing the roles of a traditional performance where the audience is now the protagonist of the show rather than the performers. And so the scanning tool um, has, it kind of speaks to the idea of like custom and bespoke graphics, you know, it's site specific. So depending on what it's scanning, whether it's interesting architecture, moving images or people, there's a lot of possibilities it opens up and, Yeah, to me, it kind of adds a new conversation around the topic of generative art. Um, I wish I could show you videos because it's better to experience it. But <laughs> yeah, that was, it was a really powerful display of light, sound. And, you know, the, the three musicians, you could barely see them. So they just felt like, you know, they felt like the small puppeteers, you know, orchestrating this spectacle in front of us. Yeah, it's really rare i think to see an av performance these days that's not just using the visuals as an accessory to the music but also but really making the technology like a focal point of 
the of the piece. Um, that's cool. Yeah, apparently um, the scanning device has been around for quite some time. So I don't want to call it new, but I know these three musicians have kind of developed it and trademarked it. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they evolve, you know, whether they're just scanning people or they start scanning other projections or videos, you know, then it becomes like video on video on video. <laughs> Let's move on to our very last question of this episode. I've asked you guys to think about a piece of music news, um, an industry trend, or anything that's made you think deeper about your jobs and the world of electronic music. Um, Chloe, do you want to start us off? Sure. I participated in a panel discussion earlier this summer at RSO Berlin, which was about platform capitalism and the Instagram economy. Um, This isn't necessarily news. I think that everybody is really aware of the way that uh, algorithmic populism really has has significantly changed the way that we consume music. But the panel discussion explored um, basically what it means and how to build a following as an underground artist and the influence that the Instagram algorithm exerts on relevance and popularity and how this trend has really facilitated the rise of business techno um, which could broadly be encapsulated as you know DJs that are more entertainers than artists or who are really functioning more as like CEOs or figureheads of their own personal brands rather than as just musicians in like the traditional sense. Um, and another thing that we talked about, which I've been reading about more a little bit deeper since we had this conversation was um, with the rise of the Instagram economy, we now have what Matt Dryhurst calls metadata, which is all this extra musical biographical information that helps consumers determine what they want to listen to and whom to follow in a landscape that's really oversaturated with artists right now. Um, so I, this has been a conversation that's been happening again and again in my circle of friends recently. Um, I think a lot of people have been really lamenting the ways that the Instagram economy has led to degradation of dance music culture in some ways because our focus has shifted away from the music um, to more superficial values. Um, And it's also facilitated the rise of, you know, brand over music. We have, um, I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus here, but um, Cobasil is an example of (laughs) someone who's uh, really emblematic of, um, I think like business techno, he has this venture capital backed, um, mm-hmm. fashion brand. Um, that's pretty, you know, this public information. Um, so I think it's really interesting to consider whether or not you can stay true to this DIY underground music culture, um, like the one that Kobisil came from, but also to pursue commercial success. And it's just, it's interesting con- to consider right now when we're still coming out of the pandemic, we're potentially going into more lockdowns and, um, People have to think about their financial viability, how to stay afloat, and to be as appealing as possible to a really broad audience, while also making and playing music that's considered to be um, more in line with like an underground um, aesthetic. So that's that's something that's been at the top of my mind in the last few months, and I know that it's something that um, a lot of my DJ friends have been uh, 
talking about. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that develops. It's, it's really one of the most gloomiest parts, I think, about, yeah. our, about our sector. I know um, we published a feature recently on our site, How to Make It as an Artist, and it touches on this, um, touches on this Instagram economy and how influenced bookers and, you know, talent buyers are by social media popularity, by how many followers someone has. And it's, it is definitely sad to see that overseed the actual music, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. of course, the, you, you still have artists self-releasing and, you know, who aren't affiliated with any major labels and they, you know, they, they still get coverage on our site. They are still, their names are still circulated in the festival ecosystem, but it's getting increasingly harder and harder. So, yeah, definitely. I believe it's something that we also have been experiencing here. Like, um, I think the, the, maybe the, the, um, the conversation has been developing through other channels, you know, instead of maybe speaking about music and, and go listening to a great set. It's more about the, um, the social media, the posts, for example, here in Mexico, we, we have that issue sometimes, like a lot of people starting to DJing, but most of them are or were um, Instagram stars before that. So it's, 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 I don't know, where's your judgment sometimes to, to decide who will be playing or who will be your headliner for a party? Because... We, we know that you want to have a, a party with people, you know? So it, it's, it's difficult sometimes to, to, to see or maybe to have this conversation with promoters to not uh, include someone that has, yeah, a huge fan base, but maybe the music, it's, it's lacking there, no? It's, you have to find your own personal touch in the music, that, that part of the selector and the curator part, which is, uh, for me, it's maybe the most important, you know, it's, it's, it's a way of showing yourself through people instead of maybe um, having an Instagram story, you know. Interestingly enough, this is a topic that has really been um, a point of motivation for the Web3 community. When I was talking to a lot of different people who are throwing their token-enabled parties in the world of Web3, which, um, you know, is based in crypto and the blockchain, they were also very sick of the same artists being booked over and over again because of their social media popularity, because of their success on Spotify streaming charts. You know, they also felt like the ethos of the underground movement was getting increasingly diluted, you know, by, by the algorithm. So... It's, it's, it's interesting to see new movements and new types of parties being born from this frustration. Um, yeah. I don't want to say Web3 can solve everything, but yeah, it'd, be, it'd be interesting <laughs> to see what they do. What have you been thinking about, Valeria? I don't know. It's crazy. I've been thinking a lot of stuff lately. Maybe something that it's, it's, it's bothering me that we've been really hurtful here. It's that... Um, and not because I worked there, but it was the closing of Aire Libre, you know, that Aire Libre was the first radio station FM to actually give a space to electronic music and, and to live sets and an and, and ambient program, you know. 
here in Mexico, it was it's something that was uh, really different. Nobody nobody was expecting this, and and also um, helped a lot of the emerging uh, scene and upcoming artists that, for example, right now I see them touring. You know, they they collectives, labels who are independent labels have been growing and have been uh, have been seen by other countries, by other artists. One of, of the releases from a Mexican label that it's called Wawa Wawa. Uh, I believe you actually made the review of the yes. of that yeah, EP. I, rem- I remember it. This is DJ Fuchi's label and he runs it with someone else. Yeah, with Ran Mantero and, and Octoptic, which actually Octoptic has, uh, he brought a new EP and it was really impressive to see a lot of people at Lot Radio, at Horror playing his tracks. And he was like so thrilled about it and that joy that maybe the disconnection has. Um, I believe it's something that... Right now, I deliver a maid, um, and also we will figure out how to do it and and building a community. I I believe also it 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 changed that part of the game to have a community to to have someone uh, that it's not your enemy or your rival. Everyone wants to just keep doing music because they love it, and it shows. I was also really sad to hear about the closure of I Really Be. I remember when it opened, our previous colleague in New York, Max Pearl, was so excited about the opening. And in his story, he talked about how Mexico City doesn't really have a lot of independent radio stations on the FM. Yeah. And I Really Be was really the only one. And, you know, then I believe it had to move to digital only. Um, yeah. And now that it's closed, yeah, I'm sure it leaves a major gap. But Hopefully someone, a budding radio entrepreneur, can fill in that gap. Yeah. And even if that doesn't happen, uh, I don't know, it shows something, you know. It, it really marked, like, a lot of people here. Um, you know, like, I don't like to say that it's a minority, but it is, you know, because who would who would have thought that maybe one of the biggest promoters like Port Detroit will be having a show there to speak about how right now they're doing a social um, movement with music, of course, but also doing this um, th- th- this other work, this other part of, of, of taking care of the scene, you know, which way um, right now in Mexico, the fentanyl uh, it's coming. So a lot of the of, of the collectives and a lot of the promoters took a course, a medical course, and right now they have Narcan, which is um, the medicine to prevent the overdose for fentanyl. And who would have thought about that? And a party has that. And who will have, for example, made a new about it? And how you will even know if it wasn't for my delivery? So it was it was really cool when it lasted and people t- took a risk also when it ended. They were like, they gave us this spot, they gave us voice, they gave us this in international exchange through music, 
which is, I believe, the most vulnerable way to, to know someone. You know someone and you know what someone is going through with their music, even if it's a mixtape or if it's a production of their own. So, so yeah, the scene, the scene is, is really, it's really sad, but at the same time, it's really happy. And I'm super glad that they did have that spot to right now start doing a lot of things to change and to build again the scene that was a little bit lost. And that is why right now it's a hot spot to be here. Well, thank you for all the work you did on Every Libre. I'm sure you have a lot of listeners who are going to miss your show as well. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I've been thinking about something that I've just been witnessing going out to different festivals and different live events around the summer, which is the massive labor crunch that's really affecting all parts of the electronic music industry, but particularly live events. You know, um, This is not something new. We've been seeing this since the pandemic. There's a massive scarcity, you know, of lighting designers, um, sound engineers, stagehands, and other technical jobs related to audio and stage production due to the pandemic because so many of these people um, pivoted to other fields, you know. And it's funny to me that we're in this labor crunch right now because, you know, like back in the day, technical jobs were like the go-to for so many middle-class households. And yeah. now there's now the fact that knowledge, knowledge-based jobs are in such high demand and there's a skills shortage for these technical jobs. So it's funny to see, you know, the trend completely shift. Um, this is a topic, you know, I've seen, I've seen being written about in various media. Um, it's something I wrote about for RA in the context of, music festivals last year, but it's such a deep structural issue that I really think it warrants more attention um, because I, f I fear this is going to start to hit the quality of several festivals where they just don't have enough staff to execute um, like a level of quality that we've been used to pre-pandemic. Um, no. You know, there's people are dealing with overcapacity, maybe they oversold tickets um, and then they don't have enough hands on the ground to help with help with all manage all of these crowds. There's an article on this publication focused on AV technology called Innovate that I was reading that really talks about this issue in great de detail, specifically for um, AV people. And they point out the money factor, which is obviously the biggest factor driving all yeah. of these trends. So the AV world, like many other sectors, um, they pay a going rate, which You know, this rate is just high enough to fulfill to fill the position and nothing more. But right now, given, you know, the massive supply chain disruptions we're seeing all over from vinyl um, to just getting equipment shipped over from different parts of the world, um, that is really impacting the salaries of AV jobs. And, you know, the article talks about how pre-pandemic there were very few, few vacancies in this field. And those that were available were not paying well. And now it's like the complete opposite. So yeah, we really need these behind the scenes people, you know, for everyone to have fun at the events and for most importantly, the artists to be able to perform, you know, at a level they want. So 
This has been a very stimulating chat. I think we've, we've each touched on a lot of really important topics and there's a lot to think about. Yeah, I want to say thank you to both of you for your time. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you, you for, for inviting us. us.